We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, our host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buras of TVBS News here in Taipei. Hi there, good evening. And from Taichung by regular commentator Donovan Smith. And always great to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing French President Emmanuel Macron's comments on the Taiwan issue, China's announcement of fair trade inspections on over 2,000 products from Taiwan, the DPP officially selecting Vice President William Lai as its candidate for the 2024 election, the government lifting public transportation face mask mandates from next Monday, and China seeking to give more pandas to Taipei. But we'll begin with China responding to President Tsai Ing-wen's meeting with US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy by conducting three days of military exercises around the island. Now the Ministry of National Defence reported record-breaking sorties of 91 Chinese military aircraft operating around Taiwan over a 12-hour period on Monday. Of those aircraft, 54 either crossed the median line of the Taiwan Strait or entered Taiwan's southwestern and southeastern air defence identification zones. Now the Presidential Office on Tuesday released a video in which Tsai Ing-wen described Beijing's military operations as being irresponsible and destabilising to the Taiwan Strait and the entire region. AMT Deputy Spokesperson Lu Qingwei also released a statement saying the party does not welcome any acts that undermine cross-strait peace and regional stability and the KMT backs the efforts of the ROC armed forces to defend the country, preserve freedom and democracy. While lawmakers from across party lines condemn Beijing in a joint statement. Now that statement was read by Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun in the chamber and the DPP, the KMT, the Taiwan People's Party and the New Power Party all expressed strong condemnation of China for conducting Conducting three days of military exercises, and the statement went on to call on Beijing to immediately stop its show of force and efforts to intimidate Taiwan. And it stated that China is in no position to interfere with Taiwan's government and people, and they should engage in normal interactions as other countries do. Now, while in America, Taiwan People's Party Chairman Kerwin Zhe also commented on the exercises, saying that rising nationalist sentiment among the Chinese public had compelled the government in Beijing to respond in such a manner. And he went on to say, as a world power, China should have greater confidence in itself and not use military exercises to show off its mettle. So, Dimitri, um, we expected them to do something and they did. Well, the, the trails were kind of less intense than the previous ones and the exercise were shorter in duration and unfolded in three areas instead of six. Well, we could also see that the, the live fire exercise were conducted by Coast Guards rather than the PLA Navy and they took place in waters close to China. So the drills were conducted alongside Beijing sanctioning uh, of Taiwan's de facto ambassador, also sanctioning the Taiwan the de facto ambassador to the US and several entities. So the, we could say that the, the latest military drills show that Beijing wants to display restraint and measureness and, and, and I'll say that China is a tending to avoid a strong backlash from the Taiwanese people especially well because of the upcoming uh, the presidential election uh, earlier next year and Donovan obviously the, the comment about Kerwin Beijing was forced to do this because of nationalists in China well I mean he sort of got a point the Chinese Communist Party's primary motivation for doing anything is its domestic audience now, that being said, um, you know, and, and so Ke sort of right there in the sense that, you know, after Tsai's trip and, of course, a meeting with McCarthy, of course, there's a lot of nationalist backlash inside of China. And so the CCP does indeed want to show its people 
people that, you know, it's expressing its displeasure. So I think he's right about their primary motivation. However, you know, the CCP could have chosen not to respond, and I don't think they would have been overthrown or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, you know, so, so I think that's the primary reason. But of course, there is signaling to the United States and Taiwan going on as well with this. Of course, Dimitri mentioned the fact that um, they weren't as intense as the previous ones. Yeah, uh, although I've seen some military uh, analysts who said that they seem to be getting better and more sophisticated. And it appears that they were um, rehearsing an attack off the East Coast, which was was kind of alarming. Um, Apparently new capabilities appeared. They sent the, the aircraft carrier off the East Coast, and the type of planes that uh, that uh, <clears throat> launched from the aircraft carrier were spotted. So it looks like their, their capabilities are increasing and they're getting more sophisticated, which is kind of alarming. Well, still, uh, well, they are more um, better coordinated. That's, that's true. But also they still have, there is still significant implications for the United States, especially in terms of its relation to Taiwan and China. First, the drills are likely to heighten tensions between Washington and Beijing, given the ongoing strategic competition and rivalry between the two countries. The United States has been a strong supporter of Taiwan, and any military action by China against uh, Taiwan will likely draw a strong response by the, from the United States. But they didn't care. They did they move forward with this. And secondly, the drills demonstrate that China has long anticipated that the United States will increase its military presence in the region. The new The United States has a significant military presence here and relies on its alliance and partnerships in the region to maintain its strategic position. So the trick, um, I think China's military activities in the region could uh, undermine U.S. effort to maintain stability and security in the region. So they anticipated that the United States would react, but they still had to show to their own people, but also to the international community and the United States, that they needed to react. So overall, the drills highlight the complex and evolving dynamics of the this U.S.-China-Taiwan relationship and there underscores the importance of ongoing diplomatic efforts to manage tension and prevent any escalation of conflict in the region. And of course, Donovan, experts and watchers and pundits and the like have been saying it's going to become the new norm. They're making a new norm by doing this Beijing. But do you think by making a new norm... It could make people blase about something they could do in the future, which would, might be slightly bigger. Well, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, since the Pelosi visit, they've really ramped up to a new level. Um, but I do think that there there are certain lines. If they do another major increase or do something like uh, shoot missiles over Taiwan or actually enter Taiwan's territorial waters. I do think that people would really sit up and, and take notice. I, I think if that, those were the type of escalations, I still think that um, people would, uh, they wouldn't be blasé in their reaction to those. But, you know, if they continue doing kind of the level they're doing now, then yes, I, I mean, to a certain degree, you could probably say that people are already kind of blasé about it. And Dimitri, do you see China going further 
Well, they, they, they introduce uh, also some sanctions. Uh, they sanction the uh, the Taiwan's de facto ambassador uh, Xi Jinping in the in, in the U.S. and several <laughs> other entities. Well, these sanctions won't have any effect, but they might. Um, well, these sanctions they might increase sanctions and maybe have more like these like military uh, exercise on a on a very regular basis. But they, some people have argued that's not, that's for the domestic audience. You mean the uh, sanctioning of people? No, I mean the, the sanction that people, no one here cares about, basically, yeah, because it's completely yeah. meaningless. But these these military drills, obviously, they've been highly televised in China, for obviously for a domestic audience. Yes, yeah, and that, that's what I was saying before. Um, now, by the way, the sanctioning of Xiaobi Kim is kind of funny because they'd already done it before. So they just reiterated what they'd said before. But yeah, I think this is, this is you know, like I say, it, it is for domestic audiences primarily, because they show off this military might. It appeals the, to the nationalists inside the country. It makes the, the country look stronger, fills, you know, the public with nationalistic fervor uh, you know at least that's the theory um i don't know how much you know in china that actually works but um you know so yeah i think that's the primary purpose is is messaging to the the, the domestic audience to burnish the credentials and also it's good marketing for the people's liberation army um because you know that obviously the people's liberation army navy and air force to see them in action those are also recruiting tactics and i know that they they've been having trouble recruiting overall and also recruiting a good candidates for the military so that may be also another reason they're doing it Moving on now, and the French office in Taipei on Wednesday was forced to damage control and had to release a statement insisting that Paris's position on Taiwan has not changed. Now, that statement came days after French President Emmanuel Macron, while in China, said Europe cannot become a follower of either the United States or China on the issue of Taiwan. Now, according to the French representative office here, the government has been in favour of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and such a position has never changed. The office also said that France has advocated the rule of law and the freedom of navigation and Paris is deeply aware of its global responsibilities. Needless to say, Macron's remarks were slammed by politicians in both the US and Europe who charged at the French president while he was being too accommodating of China at a time when Beijing is stepping up its military pressure on Taiwan. And speaking to reporters during a visit to the Netherlands on Wednesday, Macron stood by his comments saying that being a US ally did not be mean, rather being a vassal. And he also went on to say at the time in the Netherlands that France's position on the Taiwan issue was not changed and he supports the status quo and a peaceful solution to the situation. But the damage was already done, as the Interparliamentary Alliance on China blasted Macron for what it described as his ill-judged remarks that sent a signal of indifference over Taiwan. The alliance said the comments undermined the decades-long commitment of the international community to maintaining peace across the Taiwan Strait and are severely out of step with the feelings across Europe's legislators and beyond. Now, former US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo described Macron's comments on Taiwan as good. Now, whether that Twitter post was a play on words, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just a mistake that happened to actually work. Now, here in Taiwan, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun questioned Macron 
by taking to Facebook. Now, Yo wrote, the actions of President Macron from a leading international democracy leave me puzzled, as how can advanced democratic countries ignore the lives and deaths of people in other countries? Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, though, took a rather different approach, saying only that it had noted what Macron said and it also went on to express its thanks to Paris for expressing its concern about peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait many times. So, Dimitri, you're from near where Macron comes from, mate. So, what do you have to say about this? Well, I think Macron's comments have caused some concern and mistrust among other Western leaders and the, the US government. There is a growing divide between the US and its allies and how to approach China when and with many wanting to maintain strong economic relations with China despite increasing tensions. So the US has been pushing for a more aggressive approach towards China, including sanctions and other measures. But there are concerns that there uh, that the US might be taking too aggressive of an approach towards China, which could lead to a dangerous escalation of tension. So the US and its allies must find a better way to balance their economic interests with their concerns about China's human rights uh, record and geopolitical ambitions. But failure to do so have serious consequences and could have serious consequences for the global stability and the international order. Yeah, I mean, his comments, he's basically, what he's he's doing is, if there's a war in the Taiwan Strait, he's basically preemptively surrendering, um, which is not a great look from a president, from a French president. Now, he was obviously attempting to sound, you know, sort of Charles de Gaulle-like, but he doesn't have the stature that de Gaulle does, and France doesn't have the heft that it did during de Gaulle's time. So he, he basically got nothing from them as a result of this. And, you know, it was obviously uh, toadying toward uh, Xi Jinping. Now, the important thing that he seems to have forgotten, I mean, Yoshi Quinn noted the human aspect, but Macron s- s- suggested that, you know, getting involved in a Taiwan crisis would bring risks to France. The problem is, is if there's a Taiwan crisis, if there's actually a war going on here, all trade pretty much in and out of China and Taiwan will pretty much cease, and quite possibly, <clears throat> same with Japan and South Korea. Um, now, Macron may be thinking, okay, our export, our exports to these four countries make up less than 10% uh, overall, but what he hasn't I think thought through here is if supplies and goods can't come out of this region, four of the top export industries in France, which include you know aircraft and electronic equipment and uh, industrial machinery and this, these kinds of things, uh, four of the top five all rely on chips, rare earths, and things like that, and the supplies of those would be almost entirely cut off, meaning those top four industries would effectively have to cease functioning. And then the other one in the top five is pharmaceuticals, and a very high percentage of the precursors to make pharmaceuticals come from China. So the top five industries in France would essentially collapse, leading to widespread unemployment, um, and then, of course, that would have ripple effects. Um, and other industries would be hit pretty hard and would also have to uh, engage in layoffs, luxury goods, um, cosmetics, wine, because 
these four countries are big buyers of those products. So he would essentially be, you know, if there is a crisis here, you know, if there's an actual war breaks out, the French economy and the world economy would collapse. It would go into a, like the Great Depression. I mean, it would be that bad. So what he has to seriously think through is what he's actually doing is he's creating a situation of disunity, transatlantic disunity, when really what what is needed is unity to make it absolutely clear to China that there will be unity against China if a war breaks out, to pre, preempt or prevent, ideally, a an actual Taiwan crisis where there's an actual war. So he really needs to think that through. I don't think I don't think so because um, when it comes to unity, I, I will come to unity after that. But mid March, uh, Macron and the British Premier made a very important statement uh, during a conference about the the importance of maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and this is very important for both France and the UK. But when it comes to when it comes to this uh, united front, is there really a united front uh, against China? Uh, I wouldn't agree uh, on that because some countries may have like a more assertive stance in uh, in recent years. Uh, others still have to they want to pursue a closer economic and diplomatic ties with China. And when it comes to closer economic ties. Taiwan cannot judge other countries for trying to improve diplomatic or economic relations with China because Taiwan has huge trade with China and our exports with China continue growing. We don't report on these all the time, but the our two economies are closely uh, connected. Should be there should be there be more connections or less connections? It's not up to me, but this connection is there. So if France is trying to improve business and trade with China, well, this could have important consequences for workers in France and in Europe because that brings trade, that brings revenue, that brings job to the population, and these are also equally important to the United States. So. Well, there have been some efforts to build coalitions to uh, counter China's influence, like, for example, the Quad or the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. But the problem with the the, the, the French, the problems they have is when we come to the Ancus Agreement, there was a deal and they were trying to build a coalition and they were trying to sell submarine. But despite those, these, uh, we thought there was a coalition the deal was cancelled out of the blue. So if the United States wants to build a stronger, maybe a united front against China, the, the United States also has to work with its allies. It's not just a one-man show. So, Donovan, maybe Mr. Biden should pop off to gay parry and have a bit of a chin with Macron. But do you think possibly, Donovan, Macron might have been aiming this at the United States? Yeah, he may have been poking the United States. I mean, this is kind of a a traditional French stance of talking up that Europe should be different and distinct from the United States and should take its own middle course between um, the United States and other world powers. I mean, that's not uh, that's not a new thing coming out of France. And he may be he may have been feeling annoyed with the U.S. over various things. Um, there's that new, um, all those subsidies that the Biden administration and the new, um, 
the new so-called Inflation Act, um, which is putting massive subsidies into green industries, for example, if they're manufactured in the United States. And I know Europe, in particular in France, is pretty upset with this. And there are some other ones, that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, as Dimitri noted, the, the submarine issue rankles, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, maybe it would be a good idea if, you know, Biden's in Ireland right now. He could just pop on a Ryanair flight and head over to Paris. Maybe they could talk things out. Or he could just ring him and say, you come and visit me. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, staying with Taiwan-China issues, big issues. Well, Beijing on Wednesday announced that it had begun inspecting 2,455 products from Taiwan to ensure they conform to its fair trade rules. Now, those goods include agricultural products, textiles, metals, coals, minerals, construction materials, rubber, plastics and chemicals. Now, China's Ministry of Commerce said the inspections have been requested by the country's major chambers of commerce and the petitioners all met the qualifications set out in China's foreign trade law and foreign trade barrier investment investigation rules. Now, according to the Ministry, the inspections are expected to continue until October the 12th, but could be extended until January the 12th of next year. Needless to say, the Mainland Affairs Council slammed the move, saying basically it's going to give Taiwan exporters unwarranted problems and is also counterproductive to the advancement of cross-strait trade. But on Thursday, Economics Minister Wang Meihua said her office is open to bilateral discussions with China on the issue, but according to Wang, those talks could only take place if there are no preconditions Conditions. And she also went on to stress that the ball is in China's court. So, Dimitri, more trade issues. This time they're saying that you've got to abide by our fair trade rules. Well, fair trade rules re- refers to regulations and standards that are designed to ensure that international trade is conducted in a fair and transparent way. The controversy here is that they will complete this uh, investigation by early October, which is just a few months before the, 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 the presidential election. Because here, uh, they're going to list and clearly um, tell you which um, products in the end can get into the Chinese market or not. Now, these inspections will assess whether the products from Taiwan meet these standards. And if they not, they do not. They may be subject to restrictions. But if there are restrictions, how can can those manufacturers apply? How they can apply? Or where should they apply if they want to lift those restrictions? So I think it's very controversial. And it's a very controversial move just prior to this uh, presidential election. And of course, so Donovan, it also came after the military exercises. Yeah. Now, this is, this is interesting. A lot of people have this theory that uh, Ma's trip to China was planned by the KMT or Ma or both, specifically to be a counterpoint to Tsai's trip. Uh, I think for logistical reasons, um, I, I really don't think that's the case at all. I think that um, the Ma trip was planned entirely separately without any knowledge of uh, of the Thai trip. Um, and also he timed it to, to go to his ancestors' graves for tomb sweeping. So I don't think that's the case. Now, this really, and the timing actually kind of screwed the KMT out of what I think they wanted, one of the things they, they probably wanted to achieve. You'll notice after the Andrew Schatz trip earlier this year, after that trip, uh, China lifted the restrictions on a few thousand um, Taiwanese imports and re-allowed them to, to come back into China. So that was kind of a, the message there was that if the KMT comes over, we can play ball with them, but we can't play ball with the DPP. 
Now, because Ma's trip was timed right at the same time as the McCarthy, around the same time as, you know, Tsai's trip to the U.S. and the McCarthy meeting, I think that China felt they had to respond to that. So they launched the, the military exercises and they put in these trade restrictions. So it basically meant that Ma came back empty-handed, whereas if the timing of the trip had been different, he, they might have, maybe, uh, he might have come back with some changes in China policy that are more favorable to Taiwanese. But that couldn't happen because of the timing. And we have to take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and the DPP on Tuesday officially selected Vice President William Lai, Lai Ching-de, as its candidate for next year's presidential election. Now, approval of Lai's nomination by the party's Central Executive Committee came nearly a month after he registered as the sole candidate for the party's primary selection process. Now, speaking to reporters following his nomination, Lai described the 2024 elections as not a matter of war and peace, but a choice between democracy and autocracy. Now, according to Lai, the election will also decide Taiwan's direction in terms of the continuity of its democratic system, the happiness of its future generation and the peace and stability of the Indo-Pacific. And he went on to stress that Taiwan is already a strong, sovereign, independent country and does not need to otherwise declare independence, while there is no question of unification and independence, but only a broad consensus in support of democracy. He went on to make several further mentions of democracy, democracy and democracy. But he didn't say anything, Donovan, about jobs wages, and more importantly at this juncture in time, eggs. <laughs> yes, he did outline his three major themes of unity for democracy, good governance through democracy, and peace through democracy. Maybe the eggs come under the good governance through democracy part of that. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he, he was very vague on a lot of these details. Um, that's not unusual, though, this early in a campaign. You know, he's just kicking off, and so he's laying out his grand vision at, at this point. I suspect as we get closer to the actual election, he'll start, you know, a more detailed platform will start to emerge. Um, but yeah, at this point, I think, you know, he he's trying to trying to get a feel for, you know, how what he's going to be campaigning on and what will resonate uh, with the public. So, but the, the other thing to keep in mind is in Taiwan, obviously, in national elections, the big issue is sovereignty, Taiwan identity versus Chinese identity, um, and issues related to China is sort of in general. And he leaned heavily into that. So in, in that sense, he did lean into what's going to be, what's, you know, in national elections, what is the biggest issue by far. Yeah, obviously he's going to he's going to campaign. He will campaign on the same platform as uh, President Tsai Ing-wen. But uh, obviously, we'll also try to maybe draw the line between democracies and non-democratic countries, and try to um, convert. And we're back to this uh, uh, the, the the concept of um, of strategic ambiguity. Uh, reach uh, through using maybe lawmakers and then maybe uh, leaders and convert them and, and trying to attract and try to bring them to Taiwan and remind them all the time that there is a clear line between democracy 
and uh, non-democratic countries. It's just more of a black and white word, uh, which is the case. But when it comes to trade relations, uh, the situation might get very, very complicated because when it comes to oil, for example, uh, Taiwan imports oil and gas, but from which countries? Not all of them are democratic countries. So we can uh, emphasize the importance of having trade with democratic countries, but when it comes to uh, strategic uh, products like oil, for example, and gas, well, you have to also to make choices. So, yes, that, that we can anticipate pretty much the same platform. But his use of the word democracy, I mean, who's he talking to, Dimitri? He sounded like he was talking to basically people in Washington who like to write op-eds about Taiwan and the communists. Obviously, yes, but... Uh um, the United States also has trade with non-democratic countries. So, and the United States still has trade with with China. So that would also maybe uh, be a show a contradiction in his policies. And Donovan, Dimitri touched on people coming here from democracies, like they've been coming here over the past year too, too many times since the COVID finished. I can't remember how many. But you know, these trips have just become a bit blasé to throw that word in a second time today. It's just oh, they're here again. Whoopie doo. I think it depends on the, on the level of the delegation. Um, I mean, we've just seen like a whole string of U.S. Congress people come over, um, and some of them were important, and some of them were not really. And you wonder why they didn't just come together as one group. But um, so, to a certain degree, I'd say yes. Um, but it, sometimes we do get delegations that do include, you know, for example, there was that German cabinet minister that's a bigger deal than just a typical lawmaker or if kevin mccarthy visits here that'll be a much bigger difference than you know there'll be a lot more different than say tammy duckworth coming back again um so a, a lot of it i think depends on the on, on what the level of the delegation is and it's also noteworthy when it's a the first-time delegation from a country that hasn't sent one before. But, but do you think that these visits and delegations, uh, what are the benefits for the Taiwanese people? What do what do we get in the end? Uh, we understand the importance of media exposure, social media, the social media presence of Taiwan. But do local people get anything from those uh, many visits we have? Uh, we mentioned uh, issues like, for example, income, your, uh, your standards of living, uh, pollutions, air pollution, for example. Uh, it's terrible in Taipei today. Have things changed over time? Well, I mean, I think these delegations actually are quite valuable. Um, they provide several things which do, do actually do impact on uh, the Taiwanese people. So, for example, there are more and more people in the U.S. Congress who not only are they more and more of them pushing for free trade agreements and various other agreements with Taiwan, which would be very helpful, they're also voting on for example, defense budgets. And so that directly contributes to Taiwan's national security. And another thing to keep in mind is, particularly in parliamentary systems, when you get a delegation from, say, the UK or, you know, some other country like that, Canada just sent, uh, just sent a delegation, is that these people, that's, there's a chance, uh, you know, that at some point, 
these elected representatives may be brought into the cabinet where they'll have real influence. So the more that we get these delegations coming here, becoming familiar with Taiwan, and it appears they all seem to be really like Taiwan, um, so, you know, and these people may rise in positions of power within their country and within their governments, uh, hopefully, at some point in the future. So what's happening is, is that these trips, if they're handled positively by the Taiwan side, over the long term, builds up friendships, relationships, bonds, um, and knowledge of Taiwan among people who may move on to become even more powerful than they are as elected representatives who are already voting on budgets uh, and legislation that relates to Taiwan. So I, I think they're really quite valuable in that sense. And moving on now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre is set to lift its public transport face mask mandate from next Monday, that being April the 17th. Now, the mandate was put into effect on April the 1st of 2020. And public transport was, for just over a year, the only place here in Taiwan that face masks were mandatory before they became mandatory just about everywhere. So, Dimitri, will you be celebrating and getting walking down into the MRT station, flinging your face mask off and smiling? Well, we, we all anticipate the lifting of restrictions, even though we know that most people would just won't take off their mask. <laughs> so, when down the street in Taipei, I think throughout Taiwan, you still have most people wear a mask, uh, whatever the, the, the temperature. And uh, we're used to wear the mask, and we're used to the uh, thermal uh, thermal cameras at uh, Taoyuan International Airport, and and we used to these. And the situation might not change on the short term, but there are still actually two restrict. There will be still two restrictions uh, left. The first one will be uh, you have to wear a mask when you go to the hospital or the clinic. And the second one, when you're in an ambulance, you have to wear a face mask. These will be the last two restrictions. And, and apparently pharmacies, which I thought was a little yes. weird. Yes. Well, yeah. the poor people that work in my local cosmed might not want to get sick. I mean, that's a possibility, <laughs> yeah. Jonathan. But, you know, I mean, that's the workers there. But, I mean, you know, if you're just popping in for an aspirin, you know, I, I don't really see why you need a face mask for that. But, uh, Donovan, I mean, Dimitri said, of course, most people aren't taking their masks off still outside. Do you, so do you, in Taijong, do you, do you envision the Taijong MRT being full of maskless people? I Maybe over time. Um, I, I think Dimitri's right. I think initially most people will continue wearing it. Um, but I, I do think after a while, people will just stop wearing it. I, I think eventually people will want to get back to the way things were previously. But I mean, all, it, always in Taiwan, there's a certain percentage of the population that has worn face masks. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's been the case for a long time. So, I mean, it's not like we're going to end up in a situation where, where we go into we go under the MRT and nobody's wearing a face mask, you know, unless there's only two people on it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think my, my suspicion is that slowly over time, the percentage not wearing a mask will, will increase. I don't know if it'll ever go back to the, to the levels it was before. I, I, you know, that, that's going to be kind of an interesting sociological thing to keep an eye on. But, Dimitri, summer is coming. Where people, of course, outside might actually remove the masks in greater numbers. Yes, but the, the previous summer we could see like people wearing shorts or bikinis and just wearing a mask, which was kind of funny. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, before we go this week, Beijing is reportedly seeking to give Taipei a new giant panda. Now, the giving of the gift was reported by Storm Media, which said the move comes with the lifting of coronavirus pandemic restrictions and the KMT's victories in last year's local elections. Now, Storm Media also said that recent trips to China by senior KMT officials also helped spur talk of sending a panda to the Taipei Zoo. Of course, they could simply be sending a panda to the Taipei Zoo after, of course, male giant panda Tuan Tuan died, of course, last year. Now, the Council of Agriculture said it has yet to receive any documentation pertaining to the sending of a panda to the zoo, but it does say it will handle that documentation in line with the other previous gifting of pandas to Taipei. Now, Taipei Mayor Zhang Wan-an says he believes the sending of a new panda to the Taipei Zoo will be beneficial for exchanges between Taipei and other cities in China. So, Dimitri, another panda. A new panda well, yeah, we would love to see a new panda, but but the gift carries a very heavy political significance. Um, a few months before the election, uh, it's very unlikely that the ruling party will welcome uh, a panda. And it's not just welcoming the panda, it's engage in negotiations with their Chinese counterpart to facilitate the transport of the new panda to Taipei. That would be, uh, I think it would be take maybe months to, to achieve that goal. But ahead of the election, that would be a very controversial move. And for the ruling party to show that it's willing to accept a gift from China, that wouldn't sit well. I think it wouldn't uh, read well for their electors. So it might not be a top priority for the ruling party right now. Now, it's likely that the opposition parties could play that game and just say that, okay, why don't we want to welcome uh, that panda so that to kind of embarrass the ruling party? But uh, it has a really heavy uh, political significance. I could see the Tsai administration accepting it if there's not too many conditions with it. Because they could deflect this to the Taipei city government and then, you know, allow it through. Whether or not or how difficult the preconditions are placed by the, the Chinese side. Um, now, they definitely will name the panda after something that has to do with reunification or something like that. But, yeah, I could see the Thai administration because I, I don't think that they'd want to look petty. And they've always said that, you know, as long as there are no preconditions, you know, Taiwan is happy to talk with China, to work with China. Um, and so if China does offer this and makes it fairly easy, then, yeah, I could see the Thai administration doing it. But if they put all kinds of weird preconditions on it, uh, you know, related to one China, then, yeah, I don't see it happening. And well, what about the timing, Donovan? I mean, Dimitri mentioned it's the election. Um, yeah... You know, I don't see how much a panda is going to influence the election. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it does. It, it, this could be the one payoff from the Ma administration. Uh, sorry, the Ma the Ma trip to China. Um, but and maybe China thinks it'll have some kind of influence, um, and the KMT could potentially try and claim credit for it and use this as a one of the examples of how they can work with China and get things done, but they're going to do that anyway. So maybe it adds a little bit to the, their message, but they've already got, you know, 
uh, you know, the lifting of the restrictions on Taiwanese imports, you know, for a few thousand products. Um, so I think the KMT has a, enough already to sort of tout on that front as part of their campaign. And yeah, this might add a bit to, to, to their argument, but that's really about it. And how long, how do you think it will be accepted by the public, Dimitri? Do you think the public will go panda crazy? Uh, like in, like in, like in 2000, I think it was in 2007, because back then it was Mainjo who accepted uh, on the day after he was elected, he accepted that Tuan Tuan and Wen Yuan would be sent to Taiwan because, if I remember correctly, but back then the, the, the DPP administration was arguing with the fact that because it's an endangered species, there are some restrictions for traveling between countries. And the China side emphasized that it's, a, uh, I mean, the transport within the country. So there shouldn't be restrictions. But the, the DDP side was emphasizing that, no, it's the, trans, the transport is between countries. So that was an endless argument. And that's when, um, when Mainzio was uh, elected. That's when he said that he would welcome them. It was the happy ending. Happy ending. And Donovan, <laughs> do you think the public from Taichung will be rushing to Taipei Zoo to see the new panda should it arrive? I think a few people will. Um, I mean, certainly some will. Um, you know, but I think your average person will just see it on the TV news and go, oh, that's nice, isn't it cute, and not think about it anymore. So we know pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> I think that will happen up in Taipei. You know, I think a lot of you know, families will bring their kids to see it and that, and that kind of thing. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Dimitri Bures. It was great to be here. And from Taichung by Donovan Smith. And thanks for having me back. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.